Welcome home, welcome. Thank you. Come on in. Ah. Close the door. And that's all we have time for on this podcast. Thank you very much. Welcome to episode 47 of the Midfaith Crisis podcast. My name is Nick Page. I'm joined this fine, sunny morning, early morning, early morning, by uh, Joe Davis. Hello. Hello. It's so good to be back. It's been too long. Well, that's because of me, isn't it? Yes, it is, basically. I dared to take a holiday and then I had to delay each end, really. It's a great time to have been in Croatia, isn't it? Uh. Yes, it was amazing it, because they, they, we should explain to our American listeners, um, yeah. there's this thing called, uh, well, we call it football. Um, they wrongly call it soccer. We and the rest of the world call it football. Yes, and uh, um, Croatia got to the, to the final, yeah. And they celebrated long and loudly. <laughs> <laughs> Even when they lost in the final, the celebrations and the fireworks and the tyre squealings and the klaxons and the songs went on till about three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so it was uh, it was extremely excellent. Uh, excellent. So yes. anyway, but it's nice to be back. But I don't feel I must admit I, I I feel a bit ring rusty, as they say. Yes. So tell me, what was the best bit of the holiday? Oh, I think just being with the family and. You know, mm. the, the sunny weather and swimming, you know, just gorgeous. It has just been great. And it has been glorious even back here. I know, it's been amazing. traditionally less sunnier climbs. I know. It's, uh, I, as I flew in, I could see all these yellow fields. And, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like it dust is. land. Yeah, it is. Extreme. How long before a hosepipe ban? That's, or have you already got one? <laughs> no, not yet, but I fear it because my garden is glorious. Is Courgettes, blackcurrants, runner beans, right. tomatoes, you know, raspberries, the whole lot. It's all going on. My garden my garden <laughs> looks like the Gobi Desert. <laughs> it's dreadful. It's excellent. What have you been reading? Oh, um, oh I had a great holiday reading. I read um, two novels, enormous novels, one from about 600 pages, one 700 pages. I got right. through those. And uh, uh, I, I'm reading... A history of Croatia, like you do, mm, and um, yeah, a couple of history. But it's good. Yeah, I had. I'd got. I love. Don't you love holiday reading? Yes, I do actually. Very you know, much. It's the best, isn't it? It Just is. Sitting down. It's yeah. great. It's the only time I read novels. In fact, ever. yeah, mm. I read this interesting novel called Q, by um, now it's by Luther Blissett. <laughs> now, oh. now Luther Blissett again with more football used yeah. to be. A, uh, a, a football player exactly. for yeah. Watford, and then he went to AC Milan. And when he went to AC Milan, um, it basically, which is in Italy, obviously, um, an Italian anarchist collective yeah. took on his name and started calling himself Luther Blissett. <laughs> and and then they wrote a novel. Um, and <laughs> and the novel is and and even more weirdly, the novel is set in uh, largely in Reformation Germany. That's a brilliant novel. That's it's an amazing novel. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's one of those bizarre things. So it's a very, very good novel. If you want to get a feel for uh, Reformation times, it's a brilliant book. Great. Anyway, Great. How about good. you? Have you been to the, the, 
the picture house. I have. I saw Incredibles 2 this week. Is it good? <laughs> it's brilliant. Really, really good. I brilliant. loved Incredibles it's 1. really good. Yeah, it's good. I also went to see young Rob Bell on his Holy Shift tour. Oh, here have... we go. No, no, I just... Oh, no, 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 I'm going to sit. I sense a tone being set for this podcast. No, he was excellent. He was, was just he? very, very... He, he, he did come across as a guy at the absolute top of his game at the oh, moment. He was great. funny. He was articulate. He, had, he held what was the, the attention. What's the tour called? He, it's called the Holy Shift Tour. <laughs> yeah, I know. Excellent. Why didn't we come up with that? Anyway, so, so, yeah. after our own hearts. Yeah, good. and he was great. And, and it was on holiness, in fact. Oh, OK. And it was stunning. I mean, stunning. An hour and a half, no interval. He held the attention for a full 90 minutes, wow. despite the fact he decided to do the tour in an oven in North London. Um, right. Or church, as it's formerly known. Yeah, Union oh, Place. Wow. It was a very hot day. But it was fantastic, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, very good. Lots of wisdom. Well, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, right. Well, we should uh, we should get on, shouldn't we? Because, yes, I uh, think we should. People to meet, places to go. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, emails, shall we? Go on then. Okay. Uh, first of all, thank you to everyone who wrote in uh, following Lee Abbey uh, with kind comments. Um, much appreciated. As if we didn't already know what a wonderful bunch of people our listeners are. I mean, everything, mm. you know, meeting them just confirms it 100%. Um, had a nice email in from Dorothy who says, following the episode on embracing silence and solitude, um, uh, I assume that's the one with the interview with Shane Stiles in Oz, you may remember. She says, yeah. I can't offer a solution for anyone else, but I can say that the joy of rediscovering the healing power of silence, solitude, focus, meditation, simply being, are all worth sacrificing time and other activities for. Which is well said. So yeah, thank absolutely. you for that. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, it yeah. does make a big difference. I know we bang on about it, but it does. Anyway. Yeah, OK. Now, I'm not sure whether you're going to uh, want me to edit this one uh, down, but this is such a good one from Sam. He says, hi, gents. Hope you're well. I've been catching up on the last few uh, codpasts, he calls them, recently, and was uh -huh. interested in your discussion around calling. For a very long time, I've had big question marks over this topic. What is a calling? How do you know you have one? What if you get it wrong? How is it different to following your interests, if at all? And from a fairly young age, I felt drawn to, perhaps interested in the church. The longer I've been a part of and served in churches, the more this is a mystery to me. I've probably seen and heard enough to put me off for life. And yet there's still this desire in me to be part of this messy, quirky, hodgepodge group of people and to see the church become more of a reflection of the love of God in the world. I can only put this down to a sense of calling or extreme stupidity. I was encouraged to pursue the sense of calling by various people who saw potential in me to become a church leader, and this is the Anglican Church. Thankfully, no one brought up Jeremiah 29.11, which I think is taken wildly out of context, blah, blah, blah. Throughout the official discernment process of the C of E, which usually takes a number of months and years before you're sent on a special three-day uh, discernment bit called a BAP, which I thought was amusing, he says, I was <laughs> tested against nine criteria which incorporated things like faith, relationships, understanding of C of E, quality of mind, etc. It was pretty rigorous and it left no stone unturned. For the Anglicans, calling is principally about who you are as opposed to what you do. We're ordained as deacons and priests in the church, but these are not jobs. They are, I suppose, recognised states of being, for want of a better term. It doesn't automatically mean you are a vicar or chaplain, etc. Those are jobs you do, which you either apply for, 
um, or are asked to fill in the post by a bishop. Their question isn't, do you feel called to be a vicar or do this job? It's, do you feel called to ordained ministry, which is a bit different. Certainly, uh, most of the discernment process focuses on what sort of person you are and how you're being formed. And through the process, I certainly felt challenged and am different as a result. I find this really helpful in thinking about calling. I'm called to be someone rather than do something. And this is being recognised by the church. Does that make sense? Still feeling our way through. And he says, P.S. I also genuinely believe I received a sign from God that has helped guide me in this direction in the form of a voice, but through an owl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I really it. want to know. I, I need to know now. Don't you need? Yeah, to know I want what? to know that. Yeah, I need to know what the owl said. Yeah, it it, it wasn't sort of like Hogwarts or like you know the Harry Potter. Magic <laughs> I'm owl, assuming suddenly. that's how it worked. Really? I fear we shouldn't dwell too much on the owl, but I'm, I'm grateful no, for no, him writing in. That. No, no, no. I no, think that's good. a very, very helpful. Yeah, email. it is. And what's interesting about that is I think there's much more of a sense there of. Uh, a, a very thorough process, you know, behind, yeah. rather than somebody going, yeah. I'm called to do this and, yeah. and that. You know, I can't say that it's always a successful process in the Anglican Church. I'll be mm. brutally honest. Uh, you know, <laughs> think it has, you know, nor but, the Baptist, yeah. nor any other church. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and I think that the key point at the end there, you know, that um, uh, I'm called to be someone rather than mm. do something. Um, I mean, in a sense, that's everybody's. Yeah. You know, calling and one of the things to identify in our lives is you know who yeah. what who are we called to be yeah yeah what, exactly what, right what qualities and you need and you often need help with that and yeah, yeah that was good and i think it's picking up on this tension this paradox that we keep coming back to you know whether it whether you're talking about healing and you swing the pendulum no there's no such thing as healing and that's a very unsatisfactory position you know, but also the sort of name it and claim it is deeply answered. So you wrestle with attention. Yes. And I think the same with calling. You know, sometimes I'm tempted to just go, do you know, there's no such thing as calling. Do what you want. God will bless it and everything. But sometimes that's not, that's gone too far. There's a, there's something else. There is an inner dialogue going on. Call it Christ within you or however you want to term it. That seems to be leading you on sometimes. Anyway, I think that's true. And I think... Um... The danger is always. I had experience of this the other the week. Really, the danger is the minute you uh, say something about the alternate view, people think you fled to that view. Yes, exactly. So in the minute we start to say, well, you know, calling, we should be a bit more relaxed about it. People think you're yeah. saying, well, some people might think yeah. you're you're saying, well, there's no such thing as a calling. I don't think that's the case. I do think mm. people can feel yeah. genuinely called. Yeah. Um, I just think that it's not always the case and this I, I preached a sermon the other day probably the most honest sermon i've ever preached in my entire mm. life on um a lament psalm um psalm 44 and uh, i just made the obvious statement that god doesn't always answer prayer yeah and, well, and how very dare you i know um and uh, you know i think uh, people you know responded very well but i could sense that some people thought that i was saying god never answers prayer. of course that's not true <laughs> yeah you know that's really interesting it's not point, a zero-sum yeah. game it it but it's you've got to be honest about things anyway but yeah. that, that's by the by good well thank you okay so here's one from jay he says uh, jay says i stumbled across your podcast this week paul bloke while looking for interviews with royce so my wife and i heard him speaking may were profoundly impacted by the honesty and simplicity of faith in the way you talked about it i listened to royce Earl's episode and then started engaging in your back catalog of podcasts oh. and then he says for me personally i found tom wright's book the day the revolution began to be transformational in my thinking to hear the purpose of the christian life described 
not as all about me going to heaven when I die, but being about so much more than that resonated with me on a very deep level. So thank you for that. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. I want to read it. It's got a brilliant... Um brilliant cover anyway there you go okay and uh, just from uh, claire and in fact and uh, nick four they wrote in with suggestions for topics uh, thank you uh, forgiveness um so there's one for us to yeah. consider about and what does conversion look like and and so that yeah that's interesting post mid-faith crisis what do we mean by conversion what are people converting to blah 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 and mid-faith crisis and depression that would be an interesting one to be look a at. cheerful one yeah well, i think, no, I, no, well, a, I good think one, a very good point yeah actually, very think, much um, Psycho- the psychological impact is is uh, huge. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, we'll definitely um, we'll mark that down in the ever growing topic list. Yes, and uh, don't um, don't lose the ones on the cross and all that that came before. Okay, so yeah, okay. Uh, okay, and lastly, um, just one from Richard, and this leads us uh, in so nicely to what I think we want to talk about today, and it's just amazingly perceptive. So he says this: Hi, Nick and Joe. I've really enjoyed listening to all of your podcasts, but listening to episode 46 provoked the big question. How do you know that God is love? The phrase is often repeated in church, but aren't we just being anthropomorphic about an invisible creative force? Look forward to listening to your thoughts on this. Richard, thank you. Brilliant question. Brilliant question and obvious question. You know, who decides? Is God just angry or is... God love and is it just random and do you just believe what you want and is that a sort of psychological crutch or can you base it on something more than that mm. um so thank so, you there you go then well i, I mean <laughs> you know <laughs> it's a great question to start it's, with, it's a great it? question nick off you go no, it's just, okay <laughs> it's i not, can start if you want no I mean, no I, I want to Oh, go, go well, there you go. Well, only with... I go away for two weeks. <laughs> all uppity. Go on then. No, I was just going to say, one of, the, one of the great ways to start talks, which I've done many times, is it's amazing how you can be in church uh, so many years and you meet Christians who've been around for knocking around churches for 10, 20, 30 years. And so they, you know, you imagine in those 30, 40 years or more, how many times they've sung songs about God loves mm. them, how many sermons they've heard about how God loves them. And yet at no functional level, do they believe it? They yeah. just believe God loves everyone else, but not them. God's disappointed in them. And, uh, and so you, you end up living your life as functional atheists basically because it's the most disempowering belief in the world to believe god's disappointed in you yes uh, it's horrible (laughs) it is it is and so um so it does boil down to i think you know a if god is love can you can you embrace that truth but but two how can you be sure in fact that god is love and um and i've been pondering that and and sort of reflecting on on my own journey with that i mean i am absolutely like you i think i'm absolutely convinced that if there's there's one soundbite truth about god that we can be fundamental about it is that god is love um and and actually i've got a real confidence in that but i've realized it doesn't just come from the biblical narrative and and i like to you know preach on the story of the prodigal son and all those things as all we sort of preachers like to do but really it it doesn't just come 
from the biblical narrative. I have to say, the only reason I think I really believe it is because in some mystical way that is now going to get very difficult to define and talk about, I feel I have encountered mm. the love of God. Mm. Okay. I mean, I know it at a different level from just an intellec yes, yes, yes. intellectual assent. Yes. Well, I think I, I think I, I was going to say that that it does start with Scripture, you know, and okay, just as yeah. what we believe generally does start with Scripture. And although we've talked a lot about the Bible about different ways of reading and the Bible mm. and all that kind of stuff, nevertheless, that is the the bedrock. And so it begins sure. with that statement in the Bible: "God is love," and and the the picture of God as a personal being, somewhat some yeah. a being with whom you can have uh, a relationship. Now. I think historically, that relationship has been imagined in, in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes it's imagined yeah. as a warrior leading you into battle. Sometimes it's yeah. imagined as a you know as a, a, a judge. Sometimes it's imagined yeah. as as a, a Jesus reimagines it or represents yeah. it as a very intimate relationship yeah. with a loving Father. So it's always, as he says, anthropomorphized. Yeah, I think that's a word. Yeah, at I think this it is. time in the morning. <laughs> you know, and and inevitably there are things that fall out when when you do that. But nevertheless, that is something that I think is really important. But I think you're absolutely right. I think that just you know, just reading that and no, even that signing up to that Agreed. doesn't suddenly make you think. You need the experiential side, and we lose sight. I think, and we can really lose sight of this in the mid faith crisis. And I think yes. this is something that's really I need to learn all the time. Is that we can intellectualize everything and lose sight absolutely of the need for experience the need yeah. for some kind of um feeling i think i don't yeah. you know i don't think emotions are unimportant yeah you know no, i don't think exactly. you should necessarily base decisions on them but they're they're pretty important yeah yeah and 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 i i would sometimes wonder if we are taught in some ways not to trust our experience um and and somehow in this balance again trying not to push the pendulum too far we have to balance scripture and emotion and you know experience and all those things and i talked to a friend recently just to sort of back this up and he said he was talking about his own conversion experience he said did two alpha courses been knocking around churches a little bit did two alpha and his phrase was god showed up on the second one <laughs> he must really love lasagna <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> got it or be sick of it <laughs> yeah i think it i think one of the reasons that we that we do this way is because actually in the first half of faith as it were for the first you get an overdose sometimes of emotional stuff you know i think a yeah. lot of our people a lot of our, our listeners yeah. are come from an evangelical charismatic kind of background where there have been you know all kinds of emotions coming at you yeah. and the worship you know the worship leader plucking yeah. his banjo and yeah. everybody feeling excited <laughs> and 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 you in a dialectic you kind of move right away from that yeah. And understandably, you yeah. go to high church liturgy where there's a bloke yeah. with a beard waving incense at you and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> or you go to absolute silence where you sit in the lotus yeah. position on top of a mountain. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's a necessary movement to sort yes, of break indeed. you away from that. But then I think you need to look at, well, what are the other bits that, the, yeah. you know, come back? What what have I, is there yeah. stuff I've lost here? Yeah, exactly. You know? um, so I think a lot of my mid-faith crisis was... Uh, and still is a a movement from the experiential, but the danger is that I become purely it's all head knowledge and I don't actually yeah. experience anything. Yeah, so I'm not well, careful. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. And and how? So so then the question becomes: Well, how do I get an experience? How do I yes. get an experience? And uh, again, another another friend uh, who we'll call Bob, but uh, said something. Let's very call co- them all Bob. Let's call them all Bob. <laughs> it was very kind recently. It was talking about the um, episode we did on retreats, and how you were saying about you know sometimes we go with an agenda, but you know it's not always our agenda isn't necessarily the agenda of the divine, and so. They said they often go with an agenda. But the thing, every time they go on the retreat, that the sense they get is that God just wants to tell them that they are loved. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And I, and yeah. I, I wonder if that's not the huge value. Sorry to bang this drum again, and we are getting a bit boring with it, but silence and solitude, friends, is is where we reconnect with something very profound and you know just just through the summer my habit has been recent just just to sit in the garden for five minutes because obviously that's as long as i can take um (laughs) but before the house has woken up just just to sit and stare and and take in the nature around me and the beauty of it and it's it's very difficult to articulate but sometimes, and, and certainly I know many people I know would say they hear a voice, and it mm. almost is that tangible sometimes. They just sense that it's going to be okay. That just this whole this whole thing, you know, you, we're fretting about Brexit and things that Trump is saying, or not saying, as the case may be, more recently. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, you know, you can so easily get lost in this world of, you know, frenzied anxiety, it seems to me. And what silence and solitude does and, and, a, and a, a reasonable connection with nature in some way is just tells you, you know what, this is OK. I watched a tide go in and out and that, that speaks to my soul of not only is it OK, but I'm part of something that is essentially good mm. and loving. So that's mm. that's how I experience love God. And it's interesting that the mystics go out into the desert in search of God and they never they never come back and say, I've met with an angry warrior. I've, it's always they've met with a lover. And mm. I just find that really fascinating. And and not just in our own tradition, but others mystics in other traditions. But I suppose what I wanted to come back to here is, is the language of God loves you Helpful. That's what I've been pondering for people in mid-faith crisis. And I'll tell you why I say that. I mean, on the one hand, you never want to stop saying God loves you as a powerful message. And it's to me, it's the sort of essential ingredient of the gospel. But if 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 actually you've grown up in a tradition where you've been getting these contradictory messages all the way through. So on the one hand, you hear every Sunday God loves you. But you also hear every Sunday what a terrible sinner you are. And you also get the odd sermon about judgment and hell and how, you you know, God can't really look upon you because you're such an evil. You've had these mixed messages. And so when, you know, Joe Davis or Nick Page says to you in 2018, hey, God loves you. The phrase has lost power and impact now. So I'm starting to think that whilst I might not want to stop saying to people, God loves you, and I might not want to stop preaching sermons about the prodigal son, I wonder whether for people in mid-faith crisis that that essentially doesn't make too much impact on them because they know it, they've heard it a million times. And still, they don't really believe that God loves them because they're hanging on to all these other narratives. 
So what what phrase would you use instead? Though? Yeah, I know you were going to say that, and uh, and that's that's where this <laughs> this argument comes from, <laughs> because I think we've got to find new metaphors. I mean, I suppose the truth about the Bible and what it teaches for me is that. You know, if you're an honest reading of the Bible, say it's an ancient document. It was written within patriarchy. It was written within a certain view of the cosmology, like the three-tier universe. God is up there. We're here. Devil's down below. And even even in in funerals that I do, you know, <laughs> most days, uh, even the so-called non-religious ones, people will still say, I know you're looking down on me. They very mm. much use, this is lodged into the subconscious that God is up there or the afterlife is up there and you look down. And so our narratives of God are all caught up in these very ancient understandings of the world. And I think we've got to find new ways of reinterpreting the Bible. You know, I'd start with, you know, the opening prologue of John's Gospel or, or, or you know, Colossians 1, um, I think is a good... In fact, I've got, I've got Colossians 1 here. The, 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 this here's is one what, I prepared earlier. Yeah, here, here's, here is one I prepared earlier. I, mean, I know it's unlike me to prepare in any way, but... Well, I know, so I'm, I'm, I, it's like I don't know you anymore. <laughs> you go away for two weeks I and I start preparing. An alien inhabits your body. <laughs> so... So, for example, from Colossians 1, uh, so this is Paul wrestling with the cosmic Christ um, in quite a wonderful way. So he says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So here's someone trying to articulate a cosmic mystery. And now we've got some more understanding of the science of the world. And it's interesting that scientists talk about um, the building blocks of the universe as relationships of energy. And I think if we layer into that our understanding of Trinity and that God is not one, but God exists in relationship. I think we can start to develop new language and new ways of understanding the divine. And I always remember Dallas Willard talking about how, how you know, the world is just dripping in the goodness and love of God. And I always found that really difficult. No, there's war and there's terror and there's famine, there's huge injustice. But I think that what he saw that, perhaps I'm learning to understand is that what if you think of God not as being outside looking down but what if God is in every single atom and every subatomic particle and in every bit of dark matter and every what if just God inhabits everything and we are sort of born out of dust and we contain the divine DNA and we share in it and we're co-creators with the divine living now in this place, in this space, in this moment in time. And I think that's, um, I think that's rather lovely thought and imagery. And it tells me that things are going to be OK. And all shall be well, and all shall be yeah. well, and all manner of things shall be well, as um, Julian of Norwich said, who, who was a woman. Yes. It always confused me. Yes, anyway, as um, was Colin of Norwich, and that was difficult yeah. for her <laughs> as well. It, yeah. <laughs> but let's not... Who are we to judge these exactly. people? Exactly. <laughs> um, OK, I, there's lots of food for thought there. I think, I think the thing is you have to go away to come back. 
you have to mm-hmm. you have to leave and find new metaphors in order to mm. come back to the old ones in a new light. And exactly. So I don't know of a better way to say that God loves you apart from to say that God is love. I do yeah. understand what you're saying though that if mm. you are in if you if you've been in a particularly sort of uh, if you're coming out of a particularly bad kind of church experience or or your stuff is falling apart it sounds try and it sounds like yeah. it's just part of the old yeah exactly the old stuff that you're rejecting but i think this is isn't this what we always say about the mid faith crisis that yeah. in fact the f- the the later stages of it are a re integration or a re engagement yeah. a with, second naivety yeah. with the old yeah terms so i don't think well at least i don't know of a better way of saying it i'm totally in favor of new metaphors i think that yeah. new metaphors are u- useful staging posts in a way to come back to the old metaphors and see them in a new light yes. it's like seeing it's like going away somewhere else and then I coming agree. back and and seeing your town in a new light when you've been away for a long time or yeah. something like that it, it's the same but it's different yes. um brilliant yeah and every you know, all of this journey that we go on is to, as to well, I can only speak for myself, really, but I like to uh, generalise and believe that I am typical of every person, so that's good. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I, all this journey that we're talking about, for me, has been a constant journey of rediscovery. Yes. You know, yes. Of, of saying, oh, that's what it means. Yeah. And then what you find, because, you, you know, you're talking yeah. about old school, or is it... Then what you find, that actually... You weren't even the first to come up with that anyway. Right. And that the people, you know, way back were really yes. saying that. And yes. and so what Paul was really saying was this, and what yeah. what um even what Augustine was saying was this, right. what what you know, that you find you find that people have been saying this kind of stuff Yeah. For centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. And I think a lot of our um you know, a lot of our, our journey is rediscovering places. Yes. yes. And 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 seeing rediscovering metaphors and and just seeing the scenery of love the scenery of yeah of god in an entirely new right. light so richard to answer your question no amount of anthropomorphizing the divine will necessarily convince anyone of the love of god but it might just be and i would say it is that sometimes we can sense the divine so strongly the inter interconnectedness of creation and of us and that experience causes us to question and to go on the spiritual journey for answers and and it also it gives us an experience of grace that is really impossible to divine but has been going on for i guess the history of humanity people sense this this extraordinary interconnectedness and love of god so how can we uh how do we land this in terms of how oh. do we help people towards and uh, t- towards those experiences now uh, we won't go over we, solitude and silence is something we talk no. about a lot so let's take that as red other other ways in which what? we can really begin to you know experience this stuff well i think some of us have to break through some barriers and some metaphors so i think for example I mean, just to use a fictional example, let's just say you're a a woman who's been abused by a man. You might need, or by worse, by your father, you might need to ditch the metaphors God as father and you Mm. you might need to start in your mind using God as mother. 
for example. I'm mm. not saying that's a permanent solution. It might be a temporary fix. But I think, I think if I've learned anything through the mid-faith crisis, it is we have permission and freedom to do this kind of thing. Mm. Mm. It's not to rubbish the historic church or the creeds or anything like that, but not at all. We'll come back to it. We'll come back to it, like you say. But for now, let's find the metaphors. If you find calling God the divine more helpful at this time, call God the divine. God can handle that. If you need to swear at God about the huge injustice of your life and yet you've never felt you've got the freedom to do that, you've got the freedom to do it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I actually think there's a liberation and a freedom. And listen to different voices. Listen to people who've written about the divine in other cultures. Listen to these voices. You have permission. Um, well, and also, can I throw this back to the listeners? I know you want to say something. <laughs> I'll throw this back to the listeners. Tell us what your metaphors have been. How do you find it helpful to speak of the love of God? And how do you find it helpful to articulate who God is? I, I think the other thing, I mean, I think go on a journey as well. Do go to a, you know, go to an entirely different church with an entirely different tradition. A lot of, you know, sometimes we're coming out of church traditions that mm. um, tell us that the other, the other team are bad. Mm. You yeah. know, that, that, you know, you, if, oh, you go, yeah. if you go to a mass, you'll be possibly oh, yeah. struck by lightning. I think um, for me, some of the richest times I've had have been in Orthodox churches or Quaker meetings. Quaker meetings are great. Everybody keeps quiet. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, to go to experience something else, yeah. go and do something else, go and, um, do take something, take yourself out of your comfort zone in a way. And uh, if you're a very wordy person, go and sit in front of a picture. You know, look at icon. You know, th there's lots of ways I think to break yourself out of yes. the metaphors in which you live. You know, and the metaphors which which, which you know define your thinking. So um, yeah, I'm sure that there are lots of ways that we're doing that. But don't be afraid of the journey, and don't think that the journey is necessarily. Uh, going to you know shatter everything it might bring you back home again but in yeah. an entirely new way exactly brilliant so thank you uh, and thank you for listening again and please do uh, write to joe at midfaithcrisis.org i'd love to hear from you and love to hear what's helping you at this moment we can share that with other people and then we end up helping other people so that's great that, we love helping people don't we well i do yeah, you, you do. do. That's that's true. Well, I, you know, take, take it or leave it. Anyway, well, it's been a thrill to be with you very early this morning. I'm going to go back to bed. And, uh, God bless you. Yeah, all right. And we'll see you all in a couple of weeks. Yeah, Thank you. indeed. Bless you.